If you're unfamiliar with who James is, uh, we're doing a little play on words with this series. You'll understand by the end of this message why we called it True Religion, trying to fit in your big brother's jeans, getting a little play on words of what it look, would look like if you feel insecure and inadequate as a follower of Jesus. You don't need to raise your hand, but anybody out there, I want to tell you, could you imagine what it would have been like to be the little brother of Jesus the Christ? Like literally, <laughs> every day, uh, I heard a comedian talking about it this week, like at prayer time when they say, thank you for the food and everything, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Wouldn't by the end of that, sometimes you'd be like, hey, when are we going to start praying in James' name? Am I right? Like, why not? When his brother get a little piece of the action? In fact, James won't become uh, somebody who even follows the faith most likely until after the crucifixion and resurrection. We definitely know in John chapter 7 that the brothers of Jesus did not believe him and essentially were kind of mocking him. James didn't have an easy go of it. His uh, older brother, half-brother, because he was you know, God incarnate, shared the same mother, uh, that it wasn't until uh, much later when James began to really understand what it meant to have faith and what Jesus actually came to do. Uh, we don't know, most likely, that his dad may not have been alive anymore. Joseph, most scholars believe, passed away, maybe even by the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, uh, certainly by the time of the early church. And James will rise up as this leader of the church in Jerusalem. And I couldn't imagine what it would have been like having grown up always feeling inadequate. My brother is literally perfect. And yet he will go on to lead a lot of the early church. So as we, we come to James chapter 1, we're going to look at what it actually looks like to practice our faith out. And if you've never read the book of James, man, these five chapters are going to be a pick-me-up, a kind of a little boot camp to kick you in the back and say, hey, it's time to actually live out the things that you're practicing. And of course, God always works this way. On a Thursday night, uh, I, it's my only night I get off because Friday's my day off. And I found out that the Super Nintendo was going on sale. Any Super Nintendo fans out there? Going on sale at midnight, thank you for the two people in the room if you're watching online, waited until midnight and sat in line from 9 p.m. until 12 p.m. Uh, just to wait for the Super Nintendo to come out. And I share that with you because I'm sitting in line the whole time with this 20-year-old. We found out later his name was Ivan. And we were just hanging out there sitting on the floor of the Walmart waiting in line. <laughs> this is true. For three hours. And then... Uh, when all got said and done, I had all kinds of conversations about his life. He had moved here from Southern California, where I lived for seven years, and my wife is from. And at the end of it, I went home. I had the Super Nintendo. I was very excited about myself. And my wife sees me. She said, hey, you talked to that guy for three hours. Did you invite him to church? And I looked at her, and I was like, no, I didn't invite him to church. And she said, I'm really surprised by that. And then she gave me a judging stare. <laughs> And not because uh, she was just looking down at me, but I normally would have always done that. And it comes up pretty naturally for me in conversations, especially three-hour ones, because I'm a pastor. And when people ask, what do you do? I get to tell them. And I, it really hit me. I had a, three hours of investing and just hanging out with this guy. And I never, uh, his name was Ivan, and hopefully I run into him again, or he maybe even sees this. Um, I never even got to invite him to church because I wasn't thinking about it. And naturally, I wasn't 
being active in my faith. See, you may have been a Christian, you may have salvation, maybe going to heaven when you die. What I want you to wrestle with this evening is, is your faith actually active? Your faith actually active? And I have a question we're going to put on the screen that says this, how do you live your faith out in a culture that doesn't always accept it? Doesn't always accept it. And I wonder if because I was a little concerned of what this this young man may have thought that I never brought it up in conversation, even if it was subconsciously. What in your life that is keeping you from actually living out and having an active faith that is more than just words? Here we go. James chapter one, beginning in verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. If you're new to the book of James, James is thought of as really communicating to the Jewish community. Says it here in the first verse. He was a servant of the living God, who in this case, he actually got to live with him on the planet. And it says that he is writing this to the 12 tribes scattered around. He is concerned about communicating to the Jewish community who had become believers how to actually live and practice their faith. He says, greetings in verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As we dive into this text, what would it look like for your faith? You may be a student here, junior high or high school. Uh, you may be, have been a Christian for 30 years or more. You may be here and it's your first time in a church building in a really long time. Wherever you're at spiritually, we welcome you. Uh, We started this church for you. We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so as we engage with the Lord in Scripture tonight, I don't know what you need to persevere through and what it would look like to actually have an active faith, but that's what I want to address. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for each person that's here tonight and choir coming thousands of miles from around the globe to join us. God, we pray that you would speak directly to our souls as we read this text. We pause and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room right now. God, please use us. Use this time together. Some of us here live are watching online right now. uh, You're going to engage us. And as we begin to hear from you, God, may we respond powerfully. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. Does anyone know what the smallest bone in the human body is? I know the answer to this. You're going to get a little biology lesson. You thought you were coming to church. We're going to do some science this morning. The smallest bone in the human body is the stay piece. It is a, one of the three bones in your middle ear. I know this because I have a malfunctioning stay piece. Some of you have met me, and you've seen me kind of lean in sometimes. Anybody see me do that? Or you say something, and I respond, and you're like, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? Because I literally don't. I I found out at 23 years old, I have a hereditary hearing loss known as uh, otosclerosis. Yes, say that. And literally, the stay piece, the third bone in the middle ear, the smallest bone in your body, it becomes calcified. And a bony growth comes up and grows over it. It's in my DNA. It's a hereditary thing. I I have it in both ears. I've had surgery in my left ear. In fact, to do it, they literally get this. You have to be awake for this. They drill through your skull, not making this up, through your ear, and then they remove 
that third little bone, the stay piece, it's causing all the problems because it has become calcified and is no longer ringing. And they remove that bone and they replace it with a tiny little titanium rod. And I was thinking about like how some of us hearing from the Lord and then enacting that in our lives and actually letting the message of Jesus Christ ring out from us. Do you realize when Paul traveled around in the New Testament times, sometimes he writes to churches like Corinth and he says really harsh things because they're not following the Lord. When he writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says that the message there rang out to those around him. And I was thinking about my new friend, Ivan, who I met on the floor at Walmart. I was wondering, why didn't a message ring out to him? And I, I thought of my condition, not because it was harming me, but because my faith sometimes looked like that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while. You believe in eternal life in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. You may have even been baptized. But have you become calcified and stagnated in your faith? Is the message naturally ringing out from you as the church in Thessalonica that's at the heart of what I'd like to address and what I believe happens throughout the book of James. I want you to go now to James chapter 1, verse 19. You see, as we study these five chapters, we do one chapter a week, we're not going to be able to address all of the verses in there. But essentially, the first half talks about the persecution that the early church was facing. And he was trying to encourage them to still live an active faith and to live it out to not allow the culture to dictate the way that they live. Do not become calcified in their ways, but actually to live out true religion. So here's a big question with this series. What is true religion? Now, we're not going to get into details of like uh, faith backgrounds or any of that sort of thing, but if you believe in Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, what does it look like to truly live that faith out? And if you're taking notes, and I'm going to move quickly, I'm going to give you three points uh, that I want to answer that question, what is true religion? You guys ready for this? Okay, here we go. The first one is this. True religion is quick to listen and slow to anger. Do not look at our Facebook posts. Am I right? Look at these verses that James writes he sets the first half up about persecution and living your faith out and maturing in your faith. And when he gets to the second half, he gives us some details of that. Verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word God planted in you which can save you. Man, I, was, I was thinking about that. If true religion actually looks like that, to be slow to anger, to follow Jesus means to be slow to anger, quick to listen. How poorly we do that sometimes. How poorly I do that sometimes. And it's real easy to say it with like platitudes and say, yeah, we should, we should do that as Christians. But I want you to think about this just for a second. I'm going to put some images up on the screen. Let's go ahead and put the, the first image up on the screen. We should be slow, slow to anger and quick to, or quick to listen, right? Let's put the next one up so we're fair to both sides. Slow to anger, quick to listen. I, I put those up there. Because you just have to look at our culture today and the political divisiveness, and you know it is very difficult to live that out. Very difficult. Doesn't mean you can't have opinions. You can't have strong beliefs. You can't believe in the right candidate in this case. But if we're living out of James, being quick to listen 
and slow to anger. What would that look like? Um, I was thinking about that. That means with like my wife, I should be quick to listen and slow to anger. With our kids, we should be quick to listen and slow to anger. Kids with our parents, come on now, quick to listen. I know you got everything figured out already, but quick to listen and slow to anger. What would that look like? I believe true religion looks like that. Well, let's just get real for a second. Uh, we don't have to go very far, except for last weekend, and we saw this next picture going on in the NFL. I mean, that right there is split down the middle with the Indianapolis Colts themselves. What would it look like right now? I know I've talked to several people. It's been a hard for some of you to see the things going on online in our culture, see the things happening with the NFL and people kneeling and disagreements about how to protest or whether to protest or whether it's disrespecting the flag. And I believe me, have strong opinions. And it's okay to voice those opinions as long as we're being quick to listen and slow to become angry. And we're hearing from one another. That's the way of Jesus. And it's funny that James mentions that as he's talking about what it looks like to truly live your faith out. Quick to listen and slow to become angry. I want to read verse 20 again. And the reason we do this is because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I can't tell you that you guys know me. There's nothing that upsets me more than referees at a third grade basketball game. I just, I can't believe them sometimes. They are so wrong on so many facets of life. And man, whenever you just let that anger out, doesn't it sometimes you just walk away going, why did I do that? That really reflected poorly on me, poorly on my faith. And it says something about what's going on inside of me. Now, it's not to say that there isn't such a thing as righteous anger. I mean, certainly there's a time where Jesus walks into the temple courtyard. He, he sees that they've turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves, man. He gets angry. You want to see angry Jesus? Read the, new, the, the Gospels. When he goes in there, he starts throwing over the tables of the money changers, and he creates a huge scene there. I believe uh, Jesus never sinned, so he had righteous anger. And there are certainly times in human history, and I'll show you the next picture, where we have righteous anger, and rightly so. We'll go ahead and put that up. Right? Like, it's okay to speak out against oppression and racism and all kinds of things in our culture, Another great one is uh, Stalin. Obviously, I mean, the genocide that occurred there, we can speak out against those things. That, that's okay. There's a time for spiritual righteous anger, and especially on this last one, very righteous anger, very evil picture. Let's go ahead and put that up there. We'll pray for them, but from a distance, from a distance for Kentucky basketball fans. Just kid, I know we got a couple of Kentucky fans. I don't know how the Lord let you in here. I guess we did say it was a hospital for sinners, and you've come to the right place, but... Uh, regardless, right, we get pretty opinionated about these. Righteous anger is very valid. However, people often point to that, and I find it interesting. It's really one of the only times we get a picture of Jesus doing that. And yet, if you looked at most of our social media posts and the way we respond to other people's social media posts, we get righteously anger like on the hour, don't we? And so we might want to self-reflect a little bit and say, what's going on inside of me? that I'm getting so upset, that I'm not quick to listen and slow to becoming. We're preaching this evening, aren't we? Here we go. Number two, true religion doesn't just listen, but acts. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Isn't that difficult? It's easier said than done. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now hear this, we just talked last week. You don't earn your salvation. You don't have to do good works in your life so that you can please an angry God and he will be happy with you and he'll like you enough that you get into heaven. That's not what is in the Bible. The Bible clearly communicates that it's by faith alone that we have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. I'll read that in a moment. It says very clearly it's only by the work of Jesus Christ that any of us can stand in the perfect presence of a God because he took on our sin at the perfect sacrifice because he rose from the grave overcoming death itself. He's the only one that could do that. Perfect fully God and perfectly human. But when we remember that, it doesn't mean that we then don't go do good works. We do good works in order to honor him. What James says here, I've got a mirror up here on stage, that when I look into this reflection, if I look into it for a moment and then I walk away and forget everything that I just saw, which some uh, I may want to do, some of you may encourage me to do that, but if we forget everything that we just saw, we, we have an identity crisis, an identity crisis. In other words, if we show up to a place like this, right, and we're looking in the mirror and it's like, oh, yeah, the Bible tells me I should uh, do good works and help people and I should care about those things. And then we walk over here back into our life and we compartmentalize things and completely forget who we are. We have not just an obedience issue, not just an obedience issue. We have an identity crisis going on in our lives. That means, like when you're on the weekends and you have a few too many drinks, it's not just that you didn't have enough willpower. It means that there's something going on identity-wise that you're not solidified in your faith enough that you don't desire to see that happen. It literally means that like when we have issues in our marriages where I just say, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to get better no matter what you say. It's not just that I have a disobedience problem. I have an identity issue in my faith in Jesus. If you were here last weekend for a birthday bash, we talked about, we have a song about it called Child of the King, what it means to be a child of the King. But if you don't first become firmly, firmly rooted in that identity, some of the things you're trying to will and force into your life, when you don't act and you say, why am I not doing enough in my life? Well, you have an identity issue that's going on. We use this triangle to explain this. It's called the covenant uh, relationship that we have with our Father. We have our Heavenly Father. Because of His grace and mercy, we find our identity in being a son or daughter. Galatians and the book of Romans both talk about we find our identity in being a son or daughter of the living God. That's even where Jesus found His identity, right, when He's baptized, He's, uh, the father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And because we find our identity in him, the obedience comes out of na us naturally. It comes out naturally. So when I'm sitting on the floor at Walmart and I don't talk to Ivan for three hours about the, what God has done in my life, I don't have an obedience problem. I have an identity problem. And so I go back and I self-reflect and I go, okay, God, why isn't that happening? Why, why, why are you not naturally coming out of me in my life? I don't know where your struggle is or where you failed or whether, where you're going to fail. But when it happens, we come back to this. Most of us try and work the triangle in the opposite way. We try and have a relationship with our Heavenly Father where we're obedient to Him. And if we're obedient enough, then we can find our identity as a son or daughter. And yet that's not what the New Testament teaches. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. 
It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You didn't do anything to earn it. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. But it doesn't mean you begin to act your faith out. You you should definitely have good works. It says in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance for us to do. And here's the thing that I struggle with. When I realize that I have an identity issue, and you and I both do, what we're really missing out on, we think, oh man, I'm going to make God unhappy, and it's you know, too bad for him, but it doesn't really affect my life. What actually happens is we miss out on some of God's greatest works in our lives. Some of his greatest blessings, and I don't just mean financially, some of his greatest workings in our life, we miss out because our identity didn't produce obedience in a particular area. When I was 19 years old, man, I'd been living, uh, I joined a fraternity house Many of you have heard that part of the story and surrendered my life to Christ. And you know what I did after the first, the first three days I gave my life to Christ in college while in a fraternity house? And uh, I know we got all ages in here, but I went out and I had more beverages than I typically would. I did, right after I just gave my life to Christ. And I began to reflect on that. And I, one of the things that helped me, I went into the lunchroom for breakfast one morning, and I saw two of the guys who had been at the worship service where I gave my life to Christ. And I knew I meant it when I did it. I knew I meant it. But I walked in the line there, and these two guys looked at me and looked at the t-shirt I was wearing and rolled their eyes and began to loudly judge me in front of a bunch of people in the line there. And I almost like totally rejected Christianity altogether because of that. I did. So I'm not telling you to go judge people. However, it really started something in me. My shirt was passed down in the fraternity house and it said porn star on it. And as a moronic 19-year-old, I, for some reason, thought that I should be wearing that shirt. And now I not only know that that's not good, I realize how unhealthy that is for other people as well. And when they mentioned that in line, I began to reflect on it and go, why aren't my actions lining up with what I just proclaimed three days earlier? And that's what drove me to then go, okay, I want to begin to follow you, God. I just want to give you lip service. I don't just want salvation and eternal life. I believe that if I actually uh, believe the things that we profess here, that it's going to play out in our lives and you're going to see the fruit, in other words, the good works occur. I'm going to care about others around me. In fact, Man, this was no more stretched uh, to give you a positive example of why you'll miss out on the blessings of God in your life if you don't actually take action to live it out. If you just look in the mirror and walk away and forget all about it during the week. When we moved into this building, we purchased this property only about three and a half years into church planting. It was a crazy God story. We, We don't know how it totally happened. And I remember we were raising a lot of funds at one time. And I, uh, my wife and I said, you know, we're the, the leaders of the church, uh, we're not the wealthiest people in the church, but we need to be leading when it comes to sacrifice. And so we prayed about it, and we, we decided we were going to try and give more money away than we, we literally had no clue how we were going to be able to do it. I don't share that as a brag, okay, because we fail in this area sometimes, like everybody else. But we, we did that, and you know what happened literally like the next day? The next day, we received an, e- an email or a phone call that my wife 
had Home Depot stock that she didn't know about from a previous employer in Southern California worth $6,000. See, it's that easy. All you got to do is just do it, and then it, money just comes pouring in. No, it doesn't always work that way. So we went back and said, okay, uh, we, what's, let's up what we plan to do. If God showed up day one, what's he going to do over the course of two years? You know what happened? We paid off that entire commitment. We didn't think we'd be able to do it in two years. We did it in a year and a half. And I still don't know where the resources came from. I really don't. I mean, other than robbing banks, I'm not sure exactly where the money came from. Uh, it was a joke. <laughs> and I, I share that with you. God didn't need our money. This church building probably still would have got done without our, our financial resources. The difference was when I look back on that, I go, there is no doubt in my mind God is real. And so I miss out on that if I don't actually act out the things that I believe. And I believe what we're doing really matters. I gave a financial one. We often talk about it in time, talents, and treasures. If we don't see those three areas of our life and acted in a way that we're living it out as James talks about, then we're just looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting who we are in Christ and why this really matters. See, the third and final point that I, I want to make, he gets really specific. If you want to do this, if you want to actually enact your faith, Break off the calcification. Have a heart transplant this evening. If you want to see that occur, here's what you should begin with. If you do nothing else, James 1, uh, 26, true religion looks after orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. Why do you think he makes that so clear? See, I believe God is shaping us as human beings, becoming more of the people he desires us to be. And if we take care of those who are missing out on so much in life, we get to show the love of Jesus Christ to those people. People get to respond to that. And then it changes their life, but it also changes ours in the process. It's a beautiful thing. And that, I believe, is more of what God is concerned about. He doesn't just need our money. He needs us to actually live this out and sacrifice and have him show up so we can't deny it. Verse 26 and 27 in James says this. Those who consider themselves religious, you consider yourself uh, part of the true religion this evening, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure, underlined, and circle this, highlight it on your iPad, engraze it into your brain, tattoo it on your face, I don't care what you got to do, is this, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You watch television, you watch movies, you read a magazine. There are so many advertisements that are going to use sex and financial gain and all of these things to draw you into purchasing their products. Rather than going, okay, God, this is the stuff that really matters. I'm going to prioritize my whole life around how can I actually impact the things you told me to do. If you want to have true religion and actually practice faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing James says to do here, watch your mouth and then go out there and actually make an impact with orphans and widows. By the way, I'm going to talk about Horizon in just a moment as we close out the service but this, you don't have to travel around the world to do this. We have the foster care system right here in the state of Indiana. Do, do you realize that if Christians in Indiana alone would just take in children who were going to be entering into the foster care system, we would have way more uh, than enough homes uh, than we do children. 
If we actually practice what it says here, one of our outposts is dedicated to that, uh, to a ministry called Safe Families. That before a child goes to the foster care system, uh, they will actually, by the way, if you're unfamiliar in the United States, we don't have orphanages. We have the foster care system. And in fact, uh, this Safe Families is a Christian organization that looks to prevent uh, the foster care system. And so if you're interested in that outpost and more information, fill out a card. and I'd love to connect you with them. When there are more foster care kids than families, it is the job of the Christian to correct this. The job of the Christian to correct it. But it's not just that. You see, most of us, we can see in our local community the things going on. But many people have never traveled to another country or certainly another, another continent. I've been to uh, several different uh, continents on different mission trips and or with different mission organizations. And I want to tell you, it is very true when people come back and say, if you drove here in a car, if you have running water in your home, uh, clean water, if you have a floor, an actual floor in your house, then you are one of the wealthiest 1% to 2% of the people in the world. It's difficult for us to have that kind of perspective because I couldn't afford the more than basic cable package. Right? And so in our mind, we trick ourselves into thinking that, well, in my neighborhood, I, I am. And I want to share with you, there's no judgment or fingers pointed or any of that kind of stuff, but I wanted to put it in perspective of actually where we are in human history, that we are in the wealthiest society in human history, and there are people all over the world that actually need help. That includes where the AIDS epidemic is occurring throughout the continent of Africa. And even beyond that, as I heard the pastor share a statistic, 62% of people in Africa grow up without a dad. That we could actually, as Christians, both in Africa, the church is there. That's the great thing about Horizon. They partner with local churches. And here in the United States, when there are African children whose parents have died, it is the job of the Christian to do something about this and to change it. And to stand in the gap and say, uh, not on my watch, I'm going to do what little I can or what great things I can do. Because I believe in Jesus. I don't just look in the mirror and walk away. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to enact it in my life. True religion looks after orphans and widows. The Safe Families Outpost and Horizon International, if either one of those things excites you, man, we want you to get involved. Jesus said, let all the little children come to me. Every child's life matters.